pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand as we read God's word together? This is from Luke. We are in the parables of Luke, showing the way of the king and the kingdom. Uh, it's a different kingdom than we thought. Jesus orients us, orients us to this new kingdom through stories. And Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For, for a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Um, it's nice when the parables give you what they're about. Uh, Luke's narrating this. Verse 1, he tells you, he says, uh, he told them a parable to the effect, you know, <laughs> let me summarize it. Jesus said a parable to the effect, something like this, that you should always pray and not lose heart. Now, none of y'all came to church and are surprised that the, the pastor tells you you should pray, right? Like, shocking new, you know, next we're going to say read the Bible, <laughs> right? We're going to pray. It's nothing new, no surprises, it's up front. There it is, no guesswork. We need to pray for to do Challenge is that we lose heart when we pray. And so this story, sometimes called the unjust judge, other times called the parable of the persistent widow, shows us not only we're to pray, we know that. We've been around this a long time. Maybe even for new, we know Christians pray. We're supposed to pray. But we're supposed to pray and not lose heart. And so we're going to look and see uh, what we can find in this parable that helps us know something about prayer and the challenge of prayer. Because if, you've, uh, if you're like me, and like most Christians I've talked to, prayer's a hard one, right? You know, you, you pray, you sit down to pray, and a thousand things flood your mind, everything but what you started to. And then, um, you know, in certain seasons of life, maybe grad school or maybe with small kids, you, you sit, if you sit down to pray, within like 30 seconds you're asleep, right? And so then your, your prayer becomes the guilt from the fact that you're not very good at praying, so you're just praying because you can't actually do it. And so then you think, well, I'm going to go for a prayer walk. And you go in the neighborhood, and then the neighbor stops you with a dog, and you talk to him for 30 minutes, and you realize you're late to work, and you never really prayed. For whatever reason, prayer is the challenging thing, and yet we're called to do it. We know that. It's hard to do. What might Jesus be telling us? He uses an unjust person to teach us something about how we're to pray. Let's look at the story. First, the, there's the stories about a widow. She's one of the, the two main characters. In verse 2, it said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. Verse 3, And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. Now, we know a widow has lost her husband, uh, and the life of a widow would have been very difficult. It would be difficult. In this, this day and age, it certainly would have been difficult. Far more difficult in the first century, Jesus' time. Uh, a widow would have very little rights. She would have very little protection. 
She would not have the ability to work. She wouldn't be hired. Widow would be older in age. She wouldn't have the physical energy and strength to even do some types of work that she might be allowed to do. And so she was at the mercy of someone to assume care and provision for her. She is the picture of someone who is in a difficult place. Besides being lonely, besides the loss of her husband, uh, she is in a difficult place needing the care of others. If you remember Acts 6 where we have a picture of the, the first deacons, the issue seems to be at play that the, that the Jewish-speaking uh, widows were being treated better than the Greek-speaking, the Hellenistic widows weren't getting served. Why would they need to be served? Because they need to be taken care of. The widows with who the church cared for because they needed it. There are numerous Old Testament laws about protecting the widow, and they reveal to us that they uh, experienced an enormous amount of hardship and oppression. God tells us that he defends the cause of the widow. He, he says that he curses those who withhold judgment on the widow. And he says the church are to take up the cause of the widow. So here we have the widow, and she has an adversary. It doesn't say much about him, but some kind of injustice that she's experienced could be financial, could be related to property, could be related to a number of things. But she goes to the judge and pleads that he would give her justice. In this language, he would give her justice is legal language. He's asking her to take up her cause. He's going to the judge and saying, would you take my case? She doesn't have an advocate. There's no one standing in the gap for her. No one's family member has spoken for her against the adversary. There's no mediator. There's no one there. She doesn't have the money to hire a lawyer who would speak for her and defend her. So she goes to the judge directly, and she asks the judge to be lawyer and judge that he would do something about it. You're the one with power and authority. Would you do something about my case? Says he didn't respect man or fear God. Um, and so for a while, he refused. He doesn't care about her. He's in power. He doesn't care about her situation. That's true of many in power. Don't care about the plight of the poor, the orphan, and the widow. But what does she do? This is the point. She persists. For a while, he refused, but afterwards, Rasor, he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. She persists, she doesn't stop. She continues to ask and ask and ask. We know that. She persists. But the question is why? Why does she persist? Why does she keep coming and asking? It's the only option, right? There's no one to speak for. She didn't have any money. She didn't have any help. She is the picture of neediness, of vulnerability. She's got nothing but the, the ability to go and ask and ask and ask. It's the only resource she has is her ability to be persistent and to beg and to ask. She is the picture of neediness, of vulnerability. 
There's no one to protect her or to plead her case. I think one of the reasons we don't pray is that we don't know our own neediness and vulnerability, right? And, and, and many of us, materially, we don't ha- we're not where she is. We're not needy like this. We have resources, so we have a problem. What do we do? We start using our brains, and we think about the resources we might have, the solutions we might have, the options we might have to solve the problem. Because we have options. We have resources. We have uh, things we can do to make the situation better. She has none of that, and Jesus is saying something about the kingdom is like this woman who has nothing but her desperation. And so when you're desperate, <laughs> you, know, you do whatever you can, right? You, you remember the guy, uh, what's the movie? I forgot the name. The guy that got trapped in the, in the rock and uh, somebody remember the name? 27 hours, right? He's stuck. He's out west. He's, he's hiking by himself. He's He's stuck there 27 hours. He's going to die, right? He's going to die. Or what? He cuts his arm off, right? Takes out a pocket knife. He cuts. Can you imagine? Let's don't, let's don't imagine. Too many doctors in here. Y'all do this. Can you imagine the pain, the bone, the nerve? Oh, my God. Why? He was desperate. It's it. It's it. It's all I got. It's all she had. But we don't. We have options. We're smart. We're intuitive, we have resources, we have connections. We're not needy. To the degree that we know our own spiritual neediness will be to the degree that we pray to God and ask. We have to come to some level of understanding that we're needy, that we're vulnerable, that we may have physical, material things, but we are spiritually, we are bankrupt. We are broken. Only when we understand that, we know that near. That's why we confess our sins every week. We stand up. And we name together the worst parts about ourselves. <laughs> we say it and we say it so that the healing grace of Jesus comes and meets us there. When we're fine, when, we're, when we fit we have together, there's no need to confess, right? There's no need for the healing balm and grace of Jesus. Remember what happened after 9-11? The most secular people, <laughs> irreligious people did what? They went to churches and synagogues and mosques. They prayed. They began to pray. They don't believe in God, but they began to pray. Why? Because we all watched two airplanes flying to the Twin Towers. No one at that moment feels like, oh, oh, okay, we have the resources to fix this, right? I mean, we might make plans. We might have ideas. We need more security. We need a better plan here. But no one saw that happen and felt like we were in control. The most secular people bent the knee and started praying because they were desperate. We needed something. Now, that didn't last too long, necessarily. Some people, it was the start of their spiritual journey. But many did not. Other things besides prayer certainly helps, but central to our walk with God, to our walk in this life, is prayer, and it comes from desperation, our neediness. One final thing here before we move on. One thing that stops us from praying desperately with urgency, is that we think prayer is primarily about the head. You know, some of you, if I were to ask you to pray in church, you'd say, oh, I don't want to do it because I might, I don't want to get the words wrong. You know, we think it's a, um, it's a, you know, a magical potion. We got to get all the words lined up, get the right language. What's the theological tradition? We got to say it right and make sure we dot our, we got to kind of get it right. We think it's about the head, like it's inside it, and prayer can be insightful, um, it's, it's great to know the nature of God, and we pray that back to him. We reflect that. But, but desperate prayer is the language of what? It's the language of the heart, isn't it? 
I mean, the Psalms pray emotions and language. It stems from here. We say, I feel it in my gut, right? It's embodied. It comes out of here. It doesn't come out of here. It comes out of here. The widow knew it. She was desperate. She didn't know their option. We need to know our desperation. Do we know the level of our neediness? Second character is the judge, the unjust judge. Uh, mentions twice that he neither feared God nor respected man. So what do you do when you read scripture? You see things repeated. You say, oh, that's important. They're trying to tell us something here. They're making a contrast. He's not a good man. He's not concerned about justice. He doesn't care about the widow. He doesn't care about God. The only reason he responds to the request is because she is so daggum annoying. She will not leave him alone. She asks and asks and asks and asks and asks. And finally, for his own well-being, he says, enough, fine. I'll, I'll take your case up, give you what you need so you can get off my back. Now, if you're a parent, right, you probably can identify at some level with this parable, right? I mean, kids, particularly younger kids, are like professional askers, you know? Like, daddy, 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 daddy. I mean, it's like, okay, I got it. It's always right when you're in the middle of a conversation with another adult. Daddy, daddy, daddy. And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, daddy, daddy. And finally, what do you do? You're so annoyed. You're like, yeah, whatever. You can have the whole box of cookies. Go, go. This is, I'm talking, right? You just give up because you're, you're just, you're annoyed. You're bothered. It says that she was wearing him down. So new parents and, and people that don't have kids and would like to have kids one day, this is not what you're supposed to do. But even the best of us at times give in because our kids have driven us crazy and we accommodate you can only have an hour of TV time or, you know, video game time. It becomes five because you are enjoying uh, dinner and drinks with a friend. So they say that has happened before. We run, out of, we run out of patience. The parable works on contrast. We talked about last week. Uh, it's a how much more type of parable. It's from the lesser to the greater. If the lesser, the judge, the unjust judge, if he's going to give in, how much more the greater, the God who is just and righteous and good, will he answer his people, the elect? That's what it says, verse 6. And, he, and the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will God not give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? The rhetorical questions and the assumption is, of course he's going to. Of course he is. The unjust, the, the poor, the bad judge, the wicked judge, even he's going to. Certainly the good God who is righteous and just in his character will do what is right. One of the reasons we struggle to pray is we don't know who's on the other end of the prayers. We don't know who's on the other end. Um, we, we think it's about the mind because we, we think we're, we got to, maybe he's a, He's, he's evaluating our words. <laughs> Maybe he's our, 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 our angry father. Maybe he's a professor that's critiquing us. Uh, maybe we're under evaluation. It's like a standardized test, and you've got to get it right. Uh, maybe he's like the people in our lives who were in authority, maybe our own parents, and they, they, they didn't. Uh, yeah, they, they, maybe they didn't treat us the way, the way they should have at times in ways. But that's not who he is. Um, we as parents uh, are fickle. 
We change our minds, we change our views, we change our decisions, we go back and forth. But he is just and good and righteous. He is faithful, he is consistent, he is compassionate to hear us. The whole point of Jesus is that he opens the way that we could, we could speak to him, we can pray to him, we can ask of him. We can come back over and over and over again. I love this phrase, it says, for those who cry out day and night. We hear that first thinking that we're, we need to keep praying, right? We need to be diligent. But just think about this. He's inviting us to pray day and night. It's a privilege. He's inviting us. It's not like us who get tired, like, please stop, daddy, 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 daddy. Okay, gosh, he's not saying that. He says, you can invite me day and night. In fact, we'll get tired, and yet he will never be worn out from hearing our requests. He doesn't get tired. He doesn't slumber or sleep He's not worn out. He doesn't do the eye roll that I do. He doesn't go, oh, come on, Abigail, right? Aiden, again, ugh, I'm so frustrated, ugh, right? How do you think they feel? They feel pretty loved at that moment, don't they? He doesn't do that. He bends the ear. You can ask day and night. Keep, keep coming. Try me. Ask and ask and ask and ask and ask. And he hears us. We don't pray. We don't know the character of who we're talking to. He is good and righteous, just. Jesus, it says, he's died, resurrected, ascended, sends the Spirit, and Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, sits, his work is finished, and he is interceding for us all the time with the Father. Do you know that, Hebrews says that? Jesus right now is interceding for us. He's going to the Father, and he's petitioning him on our behalf. Isn't that amazing? He's not tired of it. Give me more requests. I'm talking constantly. The Godhead is communicating about us. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. He doesn't get tired. And then he says, he says, uh, when the Son of Man comes, um, I tell you, he will give justice speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, he says, I will find faith on earth. When the Son of Man comes. So in other words, he, he's telling us, He's asking us about when he comes, and we know he's going to come again because he's already come once, right? His character's consistent. He's speaking of something in the future, but we as a church, oh yeah, we've seen this before. Jesus came. He told the, to the prophets, he told the people of God to come. He's done it. He's faithful. He's righteous. He's good. He shows up. We can pray and ask. He'll do it again and again and again. That's the character of who God is. Throughout the Old Testament, he answers. Through the New Testament, through Jesus, throughout history, he answers his people. So if we're going to pray, it takes uh, neediness. We've got to know it, right? We've got to know our desperation. We've got to be aware of it. Um, and then we got to know the character of God. Finally, the third party involved is, is, is the recipient or those that are being asked to pray. It's his disciples in this case, and by extension, it's us. It says in verse 8, end of verse 8, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on us? So he ends with, I just told you a story about what you're to do. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? And In the text, there's the definite article, the faith. Will he find the faith on earth? What kind of faith are you talking about? The faith like the widow like the persistent kind? Is he going to find a church that's, that's grinding it out, that's persevering, that's sticking with it, that's steadfast, that holds the line, that deals with trials and difficulties? Is he going to find that kind of faith, that earthy, gritty, 
fighting faith like the, the widow who had no other option. And so she just went again and again and again. Will he find that on earth? Oh, we, we be fair weather. <laughs> you know, we, we move away and things are difficult. And, and to be fair, it's not, it's not that we never pray, right? We pray. Um, it's that we lose heart. That's what verse 1 says. The parable is about we should pray and not lose heart. Often we do feel needy, right? Often, often we do feel needy. We, we, we do know something of the character of God. We felt we can't approach God. And yet we've prayed for so long or we've experienced so much. We've gone through the, the unanswered prayers or the, the difficulties. Or the tr- we've seen so much and we've just lost heart, right? We just kind of. We've been beaten and battered by the world. Our own sin has overwhelmed us. The sins that we've, the ways we've been sinned against has hurt us. And we're like, I'm done. I, I know, I know something of your character. I, I know it deep. I need you, but I, I don't, you don't seem to show up. We're in good company. The Psalms speak to this. Psalm 13, I read it this week in my, my Bible reading plan. Just reading along, it says this. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face? Like, I can't, you went offline. I don't know where you are. Will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul, have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Do you know that's, that's, sanctioned, that's sacred prayer in Scripture. Like, that's part of the Bible, to pray like that to God. How long? Like, why don't you answer? Why don't you show up? Where's your face? I've lost it. You're not there. I pray, I pray, I pray. I lose heart because you don't answer. You don't respond. This is the language of the Psalms. We have the freedom, the pain of the unanswered prayers. I think one thing we have to keep in mind is we have to take we have to take the long view. This was written in the first century. Uh, we're to pray and not lose heart. It says, when the Son of Man comes again. That's speaking about the second coming. And so it's been 2,000 plus years, right, of praying, and he hasn't come yet. They may come during the service, or maybe another 1,500 years, we don't know. But we're to be found when he comes praying. But we do have to take the long view. <laughs> we have to pray. We don't know. I think this is where we have to evaluate how culturally conditioned we are. We have been so impacted by the cultural moment and the quick fix. I mean, be honest, answer the question, how long do you wait for a video to upload or, to, you know, to watch a video before you're like, oh, it's never going to come? Like five seconds maybe? If you click on a video and it's going, it's more than a couple seconds, you're like, this is for taking forever, right? You remember we used to have dial-up? you know, like you'd wait and like the picture would come up like this. And we thought it was awesome. There's this thing, internet, right? And now we're like, this is ridiculous. Not wait. Amazon Prime, it's two days, but it's delayed. They're going to make me wait a third day for that thing I really don't need. I mean, do they know who I am? Like, are you serious? Like, I'm being, I'm joking, but like, do you understand how conditioned we are, how impatient we are? Like, if you don't respond to some people's texts within, like, five minutes, you're like, what, are you, something wrong? You know, it's like, chill out. We're so impatient. We're so impatient. 
uh, part of the waiting and the not answering is God working in us. <laughs> the patience of God. The scriptures are full of us to wait on the Lord. To wait, to wait, to wait. One of the reasons I think that we're impatient in prayer is that we think prayer is all about talking. We talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. And we think if we just say it, it's going to happen. Now, the persistent widow does ask and ask and ask and ask. But she's talking to an unjust judge, so she has to beat down the door. We're talking and praying and asking the good God of the universe who loves us, who gave himself for us. And he has things to say. And sometimes we need to ask and then be quiet and listen and see what he has to say to us as he speaks to us in our struggles. He speaks to us through his word, the still small voice as he whispers to us and affirms and directs us. We have to be quiet long enough to do that. One of the the things we learn in church history from the Desert Fathers is that um, they went for silence and solitude, but they didn't just go in the desert to get away from everything. They, They went to get away with God, to talk and listen. Amazing when all the other voices, all the distractions were gone, when there was patience and there was stillness and there was asking and there was listening. They heard from the Lord. You might have like, ever had like a long weekend retreat and you got quiet. You put the devices away and, you just, and you're like, I feel like I heard from the Lord. Like, I think he's been there the whole time. I think he's heard. Maybe we haven't heard. Maybe we got to turn down the game and listen. Is he speaking and talking? The reality is um, we ask, but we aren't still. Request, but we don't wait. We'll finish here. He, he, the reality is he's always doing more in the situation than the situation contains. So we, we, we zoom in, we see the situation, we see the need. But if we could zoom out, he's at work in the situation, in the waiting. Think about the widow. She was powerless, right? And yet, in her powerlessness, in her being forced to ask over and over again, she, she became pretty powerful, didn't she? <laughs> God actually dignified her. The only thing she had was her annoying persistence, and God used it. And he beat the man down, and he said, okay. God did a work. If he answered the first time, she didn't learn that. She didn't grow. She didn't know. But God shows us. Sometimes as we wait and listen, we're changed. Not sometimes, all the time. Maybe we're changed as we endure suffering and go through trials. Maybe we're changed in the surprising way that God meets us in comfort in the middle of the most difficult hour. We never would have known God in that way had we not experienced that. Sometimes we're changed as that God speedily answers the question we prayed and prayed, and he answered it, and we're shocked. He did it. But in all of those situations, he's working and moving and acting. He's calling us to pray with patience. And we know God's working behind the scenes because we've got the greatest history lesson of all, right? I mean, the Son of God, Jesus, um, was needy and desperate. He was in a garden, a garden of Gethsemane. It was the night before he was betrayed. Uh, He knew the Father. He and the Father are one. (laughs) 
He's needy, he knows the Father, and he asks if you could take this cup, this cup of wrath, this pain, the cross away from me, would you? And God answered him and said no. Think about that for a second. The son, in perfect harmony with the Father, in his greatest time of need, prayed and asked, and he got a no. And that no turned out to be the greatest injustice in the world, right? The Son of God, the Savior, the sinless one was crucified. And yet, it turned out to be our greatest good, our salvation, and the eternal exaltation of Christ forever and ever and ever. If God could take the worst injustice, the worst answer, the no, the biggest no, and make it the greatest glory and good, then just maybe God could take our unanswered prayer and our having to persist and ask and ask and be patient for our good and for his glory. Maybe. Will we find faith? Will we find the faith, this type of faith on earth when he comes again? That's the question. That's the call for us in the church. Will he find us faithful, praying and asking? It takes a lot of hope and a lot of risk to keep asking like that because we lose heart. So we come every Sunday because some of us want to be here and pray, some of us don't. So we come together, and we're like, okay, I'll pray, you pray, let's try to do this together. And we keep going, and we persist as the people of God, hoping and knowing that God will work his good for us. That's the call for all who believe. Let's do this. Uh, we're talking about prayer. We talk a lot about prayer. We don't pray that often. Let's take three minutes or so. Uh, if you're not, uh, you're not into prayer, you're not sure where you are in your faith, just sit quietly. If you uh, are a believer, take a minute. We're going to pray. Just pray silently. Um, identify where you're needy. Maybe, maybe you know. Think about your neediness, your desperation. Maybe you don't feel desperate. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe you haven't listened. Maybe you're not quiet enough. Maybe it's three minutes of silence. It's the first time you can be still. Maybe you've asked a lot and you just need to be silent and just listen. So we're going to be silent. And pray and ask God to meet us here. Let's do this now.